Welcome to episode 425 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can always find our free Sunday gathering, inspirational service, lots of great classes. I have a second show called Shades of the Afterlife on iHeartRadio, that I'm a reporter for The Afterlife. You can find that there too. Now, on to our episode. Millions of people around the world have reported a near-death experience, but do they prove the existence of a loving God? Pastor John Burke has spent the last three decades studying the commonalities of more than 1,000 near-death experiences. And I was super thrilled to see him last month on the big screen in the film After Death. John is a New York Times bestselling author, has several books, in fact, and I first interviewed him seven years ago, back on episode 113, about his book, Imagine Heaven. John and his wife, Kathy, founded Gateway Church in Austin, Texas, and he is also the president of Gateway Leadership Initiative, a nonprofit organization. And as an international speaker, John has addressed hundreds of thousands of people in 20, 20 countries on topics of leadership and spiritual growth. But his new book recounts nearly 70 new near-death experience stories. It is called Imagine the God of Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Revelation, and the Love You've Always Wanted. Good news, you can read the first few chapters of his book, and of course, we recommend you get the book, but go to the website, imagineheaven.net. John Burke, my friend, a warm welcome back to We Don't Die Radio. So great to see you again, Sandra, and great to be back. It's been a long time, and it feels like no time. I know. I'm super excited. (laughs) It goes fast, though. It does. If you don't mind, John, I know many people have heard our earlier episode, but it was seven years ago. So there's lots of new listeners. If you wouldn't mind telling us about yourself, a little bit about your journey that had you get into this wonderful world. And um, yeah, let's just chat. Yes. I I came in kicking and screaming. Um, I was was an agnostic. Um, I've always been kind of a skeptical-minded, analytical person. I studied engineering. I worked as an engineer. So that's kind of the way my brain works. It's like, I, I, I want to know why, how do you know? Um, and, and so I was an agnostic when my dad was dying of cancer and um, someone gave him Moody's book. So the very first book researching and coining the term near-death experience. And I saw it on his, on his bedside table and I just was like curious. So I pick it up and I start reading a little and then I read more. <laughs> I, I read the whole book that night. And I said to myself, oh, my gosh, like, could this be actual medical scientific evidence that this this stuff is real, this afterlife, this God stuff? So I didn't become convinced by that, but it opened my mind and it, it opened. It opened me to start to seek and and explore more, and um, you know, as as you mentioned, you know, I've I since went from a career in engineering uh, to becoming a pastor. My wife and I started a church for skeptics. Uh, so so our whole slogan is "No perfect people allowed," and come as you are, doubters welcome. And we found out there are a lot like me <laughs> who you know who my my whole problem and the reason I kind of 
push church away and God and all that is because I had a lot of questions and no one would wrestle with me with them. Like, help me make sense of this. Um, so anyway, that's that's what we started. But yes, over the last 35 years, I've, I've studied well over a thousand near-death experiences, personally interviewed many of them, become very good friends with many of them. And um, yeah, and uh, in 2015 wrote Imagine Heaven, trying to show what 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 I'm really trying to show is the commonalities of what people say all over the globe and how it intersects with, with the scriptures. And so I'm, I'm trying to help bring those two together and help people see how uh, they, they really do. They really are pointing to the same reality and the same things. Did you have a tipping point, John, that you got that there is God? Oh, I, yeah. There are yeah, people sure. that... And it, wasn't you know interestingly um it wasn't just near-death experiences that convinced me and in this new book imagine the god of heaven i i weave in some of my discoveries along the way you know like one of the things i like to say in in in, in this new book i mean i i was blown away because i i interviewed people 70 people all over the globe every continent every continent and it doesn't matter what their expectation was. And they were very different, you know, very different religious backgrounds, but they were encountering and describing the same God of light, who is love and life, very personal in his presence. They never wanted to leave. Um, you know, he, he knows them intimately, like, like nobody else does. Um, and, and so they're, they're describing the same God. Well, what I discovered and what I weave into the book as well is this God didn't just show up in the age of NDEs. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, like, did he just all of a sudden go, Hey, I've been hiding for, you know, billions of years, but now I'm here. And it's like, no, no, this, this is this, this is the same God of love who has been. And, and what I'm trying to show in the book is that you know, what people all around the globe are reporting, you know, and I, I think they're really testimonies of the reality that God has always been the God of all nations, you know, and, and he created every human for first a love relationship with himself. And then for him to be able to lead us to love one another as he loves us. And so I'm showing that and showing how, you know, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God raises up Abraham and Sarah and says, I'm going to make you into a nation in order to bless all nations on earth. So it's always been about God wanting to bless all nations on earth. Of course, Jesus comes and he says the same thing. He says he, he laid down his life for all people of all nations. And he says, I want this proclaimed to all nations that there's forgiveness you know, no matter what you've done, God still loves you. You're like his child. He forgives. And then the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter seven, John says he was taken to heaven and sees this, this picture of people from every nation. He says every tribe, every language and people group, they're in heaven with God. And so there's this great family reunion as we as we are um, brought together with what I believe is the love we've always wanted. And that's why I subtitled the book that, you know, one, one of the things, Sandra, that I did, you know, I, I've taken eight years to write the second book because I actually quit writing. 
Um, it's just, uh, it, it's a lot to try to lead uh, a church. And, you know, I'd written four books and I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to care for people and be a pastor. I mean, that's one of the things you learn from near-death experiences, right? Is like, God cares about how we just treat people in a simple way. It's not how much big, grandiose things we do if we don't pay attention to the person we're with. And um, so, so I did that, but he made it really clear that um, in, in COVID actually, that no, I want you to write again and actually brought someone and I passed the, the leadership of our church. And so I'm really, I'm really focused on this because I do think, I think God is raising up these testimonies all around the globe, just showing that, hey, I still am the God of all people and all nations and all the division and the strife and all that. You know, he he wants to teach us how to come back together and reconcile and and love one another. Powerful words. I caught myself on one of the past interviews talking about lamps. And I said, you know, that all over the world and everywhere, there's so many different lamps, but there's only one light. Mm, mm. And that really hit home for me. And I yeah. feel like because I've too have studied some of these near-death experiences and yeah, people, all different kinds of faiths have really incredible experiences. And I just feel that there's that one light and maybe there's different representations to be, depending on what people believe. But as we live our daily life, um, God or light, you know, is there always in the background. And I think mm-hmm. even for myself, I wish, you know, I was an expert in all things, but I am not, you know, so I think I'm still on my spiritual journey as everybody is to have that relationship. And I think the more we uncover about life after death and now that I mentioned the movie um, after death, there's so much science getting involved in medicine and it's cracking people open to believing that there's something bigger. And I think believing in life after death is definitely important. And that's what we talk about here. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. But it's all about how do we live our life and how do we know that we are supported in this life and that love has never left us. Love is always with us who we are. That we are love that we're created on purpose with a purpose. Yeah. And I, you know, of course, if you study this, you know, there, there are always skeptics and, um, yeah, I mean, CNN just a few months ago uh, put out this this article. Um, Near death experiences are just in the brain. Studies show, and if you read the article, I mean, you know, they're 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 quoting Sam Parnia, who doesn't believe that at all. And by the end of the article, you find out what they really said, and that was just a headline to get your attention because they didn't say that at all. Um, but that's why in, in chapter two of Imagine the God of Heaven, I write about skeptics, science, and NDEs. And I point out the 10, the 10 points of evidence that convince me and many skeptical doctors, and that quite honestly, there are lots of alternate explanations. They come out all the time. And as my good friend, Dr. Jeff Long says, if there was one good one, why 30? If there was one good one, they would just say, well, look, this is it. It proves this is not this is not really evidence of a life to come. 
it's just this, but there, there's not a good one. And so they keep kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying to get something to stick. And, and so I'm pointing out that, you know, there, there is amazing evidence that this is real. Um, just, just to give you a few, I won't give you all 10, but, and you, your listeners may have heard a lot of these, but what convinced me, first of all, is uh, verifiable observations while out of the body. And, you know, I, I, I talk about those, but also Dr. Janice Holden did a study of 93 patients of cardiac arrest who had a near-death experience and compared it to cardiac arrest patients who did not claim to have a near-death experience. And, you know, each one might make five or 10 observations of the resuscitation going on while they have no EEG, no brainwaves. So for a materialist, you got to explain this. If they have no brainwaves, where are these memories being stored and how could they see and report these things while they're unconscious, right? But what Dr. Holden found is 92% of all their observations were completely accurate. Another 6% were mostly accurate. Only 2% were inaccurate. Turns out that was one person in the study. And so, and then compared to the control group, which was just, it, it was guessing. It was like they were just saying things they'd seen on ER, you know, or something like that. Well, that's just one. That was incredibly powerful. That is what really got my attention when I was still a skeptical engineer. But then the other ones are, you know, if you think about it, how do blind people, and I, and I interview several blind people in, in both my books, how do blind people see in their near-death experience and report seeing the same things? And, and some of the things they report seeing, I point out that this is not what they would have heard on earth. So for instance, um, Debbie is this, this one um, person who was born blind uh, and, and she's in the new book and she, you know, she leaves her body. She sees her mother come in because she had fallen. And she later reports how her mother um, had on her bathrobe and, and her mom said, yeah, I, and, and, and she said, I couldn't tell it was dark. She didn't know the color. She said, yeah, it was a black bathrobe. That's what I was wearing. Then Debbie travels, you know, through, through this tunnel to this beautiful place. And there she meets her grandmother, who she had never met because her grandmother passed away when she was still an infant. And she meets her grandmother. And when she comes back, she describes what her grandmother looked like. Her mother says that's exactly what she looked like. But when she was 30, <laughs> which, as you know, is another another commonality. Right. And um, and, and and Debbie experiences this this God of light who is love who just, you know, never wants to leave his presence. But, you know, he he sends her back. But she also as other blind people like Brad, this eight-year-old kid, and Vicky, this other blind person that I've interviewed, they say that the light of heaven comes out of everything, out of the grass, out of the birds, out of the trees, and even out of the people. But it's not light, they say, like the light of the sun. It's They'll, they'll use words like palpable, or it is light, but it's also love, and it's life, and it's filling everything. Now, if you think about that, why would a blind person say that? Because they would have heard on earth, and when they come back, they're still blind, right? Mm -hmm. and, and on earth, they would have heard light shines on everything, not out of everything. 
And yet they consistently say what sighted people having near-death experiences say. Now, interestingly, what I'm pointing out is that in you know the Jewish prophet Isaiah writing in 780 BCE, um, in Isaiah 60 says, there is no sun or moon in heaven for the glory of God is its light. Same thing in Revelation 21. John says, there's no sun or moon because the glory of God and the lamb, Jesus, is its light. And then he says, and the nations will walk in that light. And that's what indie ears are describing, this light that is soaking everything, like coming out of everything, but it's not just light, it's life and, and it's love. And, and so, you know, I, I tie all those things together and you just, it's mind blowing to me. It's like, how do you not get it? You know, so you have verifiable evidence, you have blind people seeing the same things that they wouldn't have heard on earth. Um, you also have... Um, People all over the globe, 48% of near-death experiencers encounter God, and they encounter the same God. And it doesn't matter what religious background, they describe this God of light brighter than the sun like a thousand times, and a love that they say, our word love just doesn't do it justice. One guy, a, um, he's a, a neurologist and a psychiatrist. Uh, who he actually got stabbed 13 times by a, a patient who was psychotic. And, and right before the 14th stab to the heart, and he showed me, he showed me the wound through his neck that went right through and somehow missed his carotid artery. And, you know, his, I mean, it's miraculous that he survived, but he said time stopped. And literally this guy froze with the knife and down this white corridor comes this light that instantly just was, he said, he said, this light, imagine standing five feet from the source of a nuclear explosion. He said, that's what it was like. And it was like roiling with power and energy. And he said, but what was roiling, you know, roiling kind of like a nuclear explosion that's roiling, that's rolling up. He said, but what was roiling even more was the love. And as soon as he said that, and this happens so much when I'm interviewing these guys, like, you know, they're these doctors and, you know, medical professionals or CEOs or, you know, and they just choke up. They're like, I'm sorry, but as soon as I say it, I go there and it's just, oh, it overwhelms my emotions. And he said, this love, he said, if you think about human love, he said, imagine you're standing in the ocean, the gentle waves are lapping up against your knees. And that's like human love. And he said, and then imagine a tsunami of love coming at you. He said, that's God's love. And it washes away, you know, where, whereas a tsunami washes away life. He said, this tsunami of love washes away all fear, washes away all worry, all concerns, and heals anything you, you would need healing. Oh, my goodness. And people remember it clearer than their normal memories, too, right? With near-death experiences? Yes. And, and, you know, and that's what I'm, what I'm trying to show is that how we imagine God, I believe, is the most important thing we think about. And the truth is, all of us, me included, we don't fully, we have God in a box, right? Because we're finite. So we have to. And we have these 
these walls that we kind of keep God in. And, and many times what I found is the shape of our box oftentimes looks like a parent or an authority figure or a church figure. And, and sometimes that did not accurately represent the being, the person of God. And so I'm trying to help us expand our box. On the one side, you know, maybe, maybe you don't realize how beautiful and you know, we don't use the word beautiful, but they say beautiful and mysterious and glorious and powerful and you know, sovereign, all those, all those big theological terms, right? Yes, God is all that and more than we can imagine so that we realize, okay, I can trust him because on the other side of the box, many times we don't realize how actually personable and enjoyable and even fun and funny God is. Like we don't use those words many times. Say more about that. I I've never heard that concept. It makes sense. Well, and what I'm trying to show, you know, because there are many Christians who they really have God in a box on this side. Like they don't. And, and as a result, um, I think people don't seek God because they fear he's going to ruin my life. He's going to limit my life. He's going to take away my, my joy or my enjoyment. He wants to, you know, he's, some people see him as this moral cop up in the sky, kind of looking down, you know, and going, stop that. You know, is anybody having fun yet? Well, cut it out. Well, that, what, what I try to point out is not only what NDEs say, um, but, but also what the scriptures said all along. You know, most people don't realize that, that God um, is joy. Now, now, interestingly, when I did my research, um, you know, not only interviewing 70 indie ears from all over the world, but I went back, you know, I, I went to seminary. So I went back and went through all my theology books of the way theologians describe God. And you know, something that struck me is not one of those books describe God with the characteristics of joy or fun or in, in enjoyment. And yet, um, in the Old Testament, God actually had the, the people uh, of, of Israel have, they had um, five festivals every year where he said to them, I want you to all come together, stop work, come together for a week and celebrate before me, with me, enjoy. I mean, you, you know, like why? Well, because he enjoys us enjoying the good gifts he's given us. You know, when we, when we think about our ability to enjoy life or to even have adventure or feel pleasure or any of those things, do we think we came up with that? No. Whoever created us came up with our ability to, to enjoy. Now, can we abuse good gifts? Yeah. I mean, life is full of examples of we can abuse good gifts. But God is the giver of those good gifts. One of the things that, um, you know, uh, I, I, I love this story. Who's, she's now a good friend of mine. I was on the news. Um, this is like five years ago. And she emails me afterwards. And she said, I, I saw you on the news. I don't know who you are. I've never read your book. But that happened to me. She said, I was, I was raised Jewish, but by atheist parents. And, and um and she said, when I was 16, my horse landed on me and crushed me. I was 30 feet up in the air, 
looking down and she said, and Jesus was with me. I've never told anyone that. Thanks. That's all she said. (laughs) So I'm like, oh my gosh. And I emailed her back and we started a conversation. And um, so it turns out she grew up in in a pretty abusive home. And her dad had a mantra. Um, he was a very well-to-do lawyer. He was, he was an atheist. And his mantra that he told his girls every night, there is no God. Your life is worthless. Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. And he had a few other things he said. And, and he was abusive. And Heidi, though, believed in God. She always did. And she prayed to God every night. And she would talk to him, you know, just like a talking to a, a dad who cared. And she always felt like she was being comforted and cared for and, and rocked to sleep at night. That's what she told me she felt. Now, when she was 16 and her horse fell on her, she, she said she was up there and she knew she was dead. She felt great. And she said, you know, my, my only concern is that I hated it that my sisters had to see me die that way. And then she sees a light over her shoulder. And And she said it was a cloudy day and the sun wouldn't come in this direction. So she was curious and she turns and there floating with her 30 feet in the air, she said, is Jesus just emanating this brilliant light. And she said, it wasn't like I said, you know, what's a good Jewish girl like me doing with Jesus? I'm not supposed to be with Jesus. She said, no, I knew him. She said, I knew this man who is God, who I'd always prayed to and always known. She just intuitively knew it. And then he gives her a life review. And in her life review, first of all, you know, back to the, the joy and enjoyment part, they're watching her life review. And one of the things they, they watch, um, and remember, she's a 16-year-old girl, right? And she loves speed. So she loves riding horseback fast, right? And, and Jesus is just like, thrilled to be with her and smiling at her. And then they're watching the life review and they see one scene when she's an infant and uh, a friend came in and put another infant in her crib and the infant takes her rattle and whacks her on the nose. And she and Jesus just burst out laughing. She said, you know, I wasn't really hurt. I was just indignant. And you could, you know, they could feel it because you can in in life review. So they're laughing together. And then after the life review, then in the life review, he shows her herself praying as a child every night. And she said, I saw he was sitting by my bed, comforting me and then putting me to sleep. And she said, I saw this. Then Jesus gets this big grin on his face, takes her hand. And now this is the, this is the part that at first, when I first heard it, I wanted it to be true, but I was like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) Jesus takes her hand and they take off line. And she said at first through our atmosphere, she saw, you know, trees and buildings and things going by, but then into like outer space, like passing at the, at the speed of light. And she said, but we weren't just flying. It was like, we were surfing a wave of light that was under our feet that I could feel. And she said at one point, you know, we're both just grinning and laughing. And he, she said, and joking the whole time. And she reached down and she could feel the wave of light with her hand and she could feel it on her feet. And, and, and then, and then Jesus, and he takes her then past this. She said it was like a barrier to where suddenly everything was light. And it was all like this sense of 
of, of one and what the one was, was God. She just knew it. And then she finds herself, she said, on God's lap and this embrace. And she said, and, and God was different than Jesus, but the same as Jesus. And she said, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain how God can be light and God can be love and God can be a man. I don't understand it, but that's what I experienced. So for me, you know, hearing all that, and then of course, Jesus says, I got to take you back. And she's like, uh-uh, I'm not going back. And she argued with him. And I love this too, that people consistently in God's presence, they're so themselves. You know, they're so themselves. They, they, they even, you know, like if they don't want something, they tell him. And he's, and he's patient and he's kind, but he's like, no, nah, you need to go back. And in some cases he says, do you want to go on? You know, there's a choice. But the, the reason I was kind of hesitant at first is I was like, wow, that's kind of out there. Like Jesus laughing and playing and having fun with the 16-year-old. And then I interview a 14-year-old girl, same thing. Like when he's bringing her back, they're like flying and and doing things that just would be so thrilling to a, to a young teenager, right? And then I had a couple who were doctors, who were who were agnostics, skeptics, who came to our church, and um, when I did a message on this, they came up afterwards and they say they said, you know. We started coming to your church and came to faith because when our um, second born was in an infant, he was in and out of ICU and his heart crashed multiple times. And then we, when he was four years old, we would be tucking, it, tucking him into bed at night. And he kept saying, I want to go run and play with Jesus in the fields again. And, and Christy said to me, we, had, we didn't believe in Jesus. We never watched TV. We'd never been to church. And I kept asking him, who told you about Jesus? And, 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 he, and he kept saying, you know, when he came and got me in the hospital and we went and ran and played in the fields, I want to go back. And that kind of opened their minds and hearts like, okay, what's going on here? So, yeah. So what I'm trying to show and, and the last, the last section of the book is all about walking with the God of joy. You know, the last thing Jesus said when he was on earth is he said, stay connected to me, just like a, like a branch stays connected to a vine. And you don't have to try real hard to grow fruit. Fruit grows naturally, right? And he said, so just stay connected to me and good things will naturally grow in your life. But disconnected, you can do nothing. And then he said this, he said, I've told you these things so that my joy will be in you and your joy will overflow. And most people don't think that's God's heart for you. You know, that, that better than the, the best father or mother wants, you know, a good father or mother. You know, I have, I have two little granddaughters. I love enjoying life with them. I love, I can't wait. I'm going to give my little almost four-year-old her first bike with training wheels. And I'm so excited because I get to enjoy her learning to ride a bike. Well, I'm not a better granddad, you know, relater than God is to us. He's better. And I think when we start to realize that, that 
and indie eaters say this too. I, I interviewed um, this uh, aerospace engineer who turned lawyer, he's now a lawyer in Australia, um, and another a, a professor in Australia. And this one lawyer guy said, he's coming into this brilliant light. And he sees in the light, like, like arms stretched out, like, like he's going to just embrace him and hug him. And as he's getting closer and closer, he finds himself filled up, filled up, filled up with what he called was love and a, and a joy that produces ecstasy. That's, that's what he said. And I even asked him, and I've asked several of them because I was just curious. Because I have this theory that all of our relationships are really just a, a microcosm of the bigger relationship we were created for. And so I, I, I asked Wayne, I said, so what was that like? Like, is there anything you can think of on earth that would be like that? And, and he said, ecstasy. And, and I said, you mean like better than sex? He said, oh, that's nothing compared to what I was experiencing, this, this wholeness of life and love. And he's filled up, filled up. And he said, I felt like I was going to explode. And I thought to myself, if this keeps going, I'm going to explode. And, and then it starts to subside. And he realizes this, this being, this God heard my thoughts, you know, which of course we know is common. And then he says, no, don't stop. I want more. And he hears God chuckle. And then it starts to increase, increase, increase. And so what I'm trying to show is that you know, the God who created us, every relationship that we, you know, all the, the love we have for a child or for a grandchild, all the, the feeling kind of um, known by a best friend, you know, and wanting to just go through life with a best friend, even the love and ecstasy we would feel with a spouse that we are just like one with. They're all just little tastes on the tip of our tongue of a greater relationship that then will bring all of our relationships together as they were meant to be. It is so refreshing to hear you talk, John. I, I kind of get going. I get wound up because it's so exciting. <laughs> I want you to continue. I, but it, it just gave me just such a fresh new way of thinking of God because I grew up Catholic and, you know, all that. God, the almighty and doing bad things in God's eyes. And, you know, I've grown up to think, okay, God is love. I am loved, right? Good, bad, and yeah. indifferent. But just to imagine people that really get us, you know, that really understand us. And I don't think there's a single living soul that truly gets us as we really are and has that love and unconditional love you know, I, I'm laughing because you know how they say dog is spelled backwards as God, uh -huh. <laughs> that unconditional love that we always feel no matter what uh, from yeah. an animal, but, you know, obviously a zillion times more, but just someone that really totally gets us and wants to, wants that joy for us and with us. And so I love exactly. stories that you had, um, but how do we stay connected? You know, not Clearly, not everybody's going to have a near-death experience, nor do we want them to. But right. how do we stay connected as that branch so that we bear fruit, so to speak? And, yeah. and have that 
how do we make that connection? I, I know it's always there from God's perspective, but how do we engage and keep this? Yeah, alive? And, and and that is what I'm what I'm writing about in the last chapter. So in the in this in Imagine the God of Heaven, I'm trying to show. I mean, I I, I interview um, Santosh, who grew up in India. Dr. Rajiv Parthi, chief anesthesiologist at the Bakerfield Hospital. Um, this uh, imam in Rwanda, uh, a a woman in Tehran, uh, and and I'm showing how what they say and and what they experience and how this is God's love story that He's been telling all along, and He doesn't tell them exactly who He is because He said, "If you seek Me with all your heart, you'll find Me," and that's exactly what these people do when they come back, and they do. And they find, and and the last, so I'm going through this, this love story and the compassion and the mercy of God and the justice of God and how, how, you know, making sense of why, if God is love, would he allow all these horrific things, you know? And I interview some people who went through horrific things and how, when they had this NDE in the middle of these horrific things, things made sense. And and how it can help us. But the last part of the book is all about how do we walk daily with this God of joy. And so I, I go into that. But let me tell you, I, just kind of a this one CEO I, I interviewed. Um, he uh, he, he was an, a medical executive with Johnson and Johnson, and then a CEO of biotech firms. You know and. A lot of the people I interview, like they have a lot to lose making up wacky stories, right? <laughs> and and I and I do that on purpose because you have to stop and think, like, what do they have to what do they have to gain making this stuff up? And yet, consistently, you know, the this Hindu engineer is describing he describes seeing the Revelation twenty one city of God exactly. And and comes back and is seeking. But um, the CEO, Randy, um, he said, you know, he's he he's there in the presence of Jesus and just overwhelmed. He said, I I, I knew human love, you know, and I, I have a wonderful family and a wonderful spouse. But he said, when I looked in the eyes of love, this is the, the this is the person of love. And he said, I just never wanted to leave. And Jesus gives them a, a different kind of life review. You know, they're 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 all unique in in certain ways. And in this, he gave he he showed him vignettes and and some of the vignettes. Like Randy grew up um, with severe asthma, so he's in and out of the hospital a lot as a kid. And he was bullied because he was overweight, and and he lost his one friend, um, and really his little dog, his little fox terrier, was his only his only friend. And he's seen all this and, and he was confused. And he, he asked the Lord, he said, God, why are, you, why are you showing me these things? Like these were really painful. And then he realized, oh, you, you were with me even in that? You were there? And, and he looks and, and Jesus has a tear. He says, I was always with you. I've always been with you, just waiting for you to turn to me. And, and, you know, it's interesting because sometimes Christians say, well, well, this, this can't be right because it says in Revelation, there are no more tears. It says, no, it doesn't say that. It, it says he will wipe away 
every tier. We're still we're still fully ourselves, right? And 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 then he shows Randy this other time because Randy became a, an atheist and um, he went to Northwestern. He tried to disprove all religions. That was like his project. He tried to do this, and and he and he sees himself working as an orderly in a hospital. And he walks in to, to bring a meal to this seven-year-old cancer patient who's dying. And this little seven-year-old boy says, says to him, I'm dying. And he said, I'm so sorry. And he said, it's okay. I'm going to go to heaven. And then he asked Randy, he said, do you know Jesus? And Randy said, no, I, you know, I don't really believe in that. But if there is a heaven, I'm sure you'll go there. And then the little boy said, I'm going to pray for you. And you're going to be there too. And Randy is here standing with Jesus, reliving this little boy, praying for him. And he said, Jesus was showing me he honored the prayers of that little boy for me. And I'm here watching this again. And and what he said to him is, you know, I I was always there with you, wanting to help you through life and just wanting you to, to turn to me. And then Jesus says, look. And, and he turns and he looks, and across this meadow of heaven, again, with beautiful flowers and grass, comes running this little dog, Randy's dog, that had died when he was in college, jumps up on him and starts licking his face like a lollipop, just like he did when he was little. And Jesus says to him, see, beloved, I give you the, the desire of your heart. That's a psalm. In Psalm 37, 4, God says, delight, he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. And I like to point out that um, following God in this life, sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to miss out. You're not going to miss out on anything because this life is not the end. It's not it. And so many people in heaven talk about, you know, they love to create art but they weren't a very good artist on earth, but in heaven, they are, they're able to do all these things they dreamt of and he's so good. And so then, then he sent, he says, I'm sending you back, Randy, I'm sending you back. And Randy starts arguing with him. I'm not going back. No way. It's hard down there. And, um, and Randy finally said, okay, if you're sending me back, then you still have a purpose on earth. And he said, okay, well, if I have to go back, then, then tell me my purpose. What am I supposed to do? And he said, you know, I'm a type A CEO. I want a five-year plan, 10-year plan. And Jesus says to him, no, I won't tell you your purpose. Because if I tell you your purpose, you'll try to get out ahead of me. I want you to just stay with me and daily we'll do it together. And so, you know, I, I, I tell more of his story, but I also talk about the way we stay connected is we just talk to him and to realize he's always with us and he wants to help us through life. And just like in the ears, they, the, the, the communication of heaven is thought to thought, right? It's like this. And, and the way we experience that today is just this prompting in our minds. You know, so, sometimes we don't realize that not every thought we have is our own. I love that. <laughs> well, it's not. And 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 sometimes those thoughts are, you know, they're they're trying to get us to do 
to, to get deceived into doing things that are going to hurt us or hurt others and their temptation. And we don't realize that. And so we have to learn to take those thoughts and, you know, don't just go with it necessarily. Um, you know, we've had, we've had a recovery ministry and, you know, that's what addicts have to realize is, you know, that, that first thought often is just like, Hey, like this one cocaine addict who, you know, he, he told me, um, he kept having this thought and he had been clean for like five years and he kept having this thought, Hey, go buy gas there. That's the cheapest gas. You need to be a good steward of your money. But he knew that from that gas station, he could see his old dealer's house. But he gave into that thought and he kept going and getting gas until one day in a weak spot, he ends up over there about to buy Coke. When he comes to his census, he has another prompt. You don't have to do this. Just a thought. You don't have to do this. And he's like, you're right. And he turns and he, and he stays sober. So realizing that God speaks to us in our thoughts. And as we just talk over everything throughout the day, every, every decision, Lord, what, what should I do with this? You know, you don't always get this instant. Oh, okay. Now I know. Because the other thing we have to realize is he doesn't want us to be robots. You know, he, he created us free, free willed people. And that's because free will is a requisite of being able to love. And God wants love. And so it's as we willing or willing that we love God back. The more willing we are to follow, the more we're loving God, because that's all we have to give, right? You don't have, you don't have anything to give the giver of life, except what he's given us, the ability to either say, screw you, God, I don't, I don't need you. I've, I've got my life figured out. And people do. Or okay, I, 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 I trust you and I, and I want to know what do you want? And as we, as we just walk in that posture, you know, I love what, what God told Santosh, who again, he's this, he, he grew up in India, Hindu. When he came back, he said, you know, he said, I, I saw this almighty God after he sees this city of God with these 12 gates, he said, and I see almighty God. And he said, um, you know, he, 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 he said he was going to send him back and he said, well, when, when I come back, I want to go into the city. I want to go into the city. How do I? And what the Lord said to him is he said, I want, and, and what he was thinking is which temple or mosque or church, or do I go to, you know? And, and he said, no, I want honesty, not one day a week. 365 days a year. How honest, how truthful will you be with me? He said, I want relationship. And, and then he told him, he said, the wages of sin is death, but yield to me daily and walk with me. That's what he said. Now, Santosh didn't know what any of that meant. And he came back and he was like, okay, who was this God? Because he had mercy and compassion and such love for me. And, and he just kept seeking, kept seeking, and, and he did discover who it is. And, and so I think, you know, to answer your question a long roundabout way, it's real simple. You know, and, and that's where I think, you know, sometimes growing up in, in church, like you were talking about the Catholic Church, or I grew up in a pretty traditional 
church and just rebelled and went away from it because what I saw. So it's not that what's being taught necessarily is wrong. It's sometimes you don't see the life of God being lived out with people. They really, some people really are just doing religious ritual and that's not what God's interested in. He's interested in relationship and it's, it's simple. We don't have to go clean up our act. We don't have to prove we're good enough. We don't have to jump through a bunch of religious hoops to get God to love us. He already loves you more than you could imagine. And now he wants you to just walk with him simply by realizing every day you can talk to him about anything. And as you learn to pay attention to the promptings of those things that intuitively, you know, okay, he wants me to care about this person. He wants me to do something for this person. And you do it and you're able to start to look back and go, wow, okay, he's really leading me. He's really guiding me. So many special words and I can feel your passion. <laughs> and, and I'm going to share this interview as far as I can. But the the ripple effect of number one, knowing that you're loved just the way you are. And number two, being love and sharing love and I'm really grateful the older I've gotten, I've realized I don't need to be fast paced anymore. It's not about making money. It's not about doing these big grandiose things. It's the simple things in life, loving them, appreciating nature. We don't think God has a sense of humor. Just look at nature because there's some funny critters out there. I mean, who would, (laughs) who would create the platypus, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, there's just so much joy and we all know what that joy feels like, but to remember this in a daily, daily way, how can we put this in daily practice? Is it putting post-it notes up like any other affirmation? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. actually, you know, something that, um, something that I feel like God just in those promptings led me to years ago. Um, and you know, the thing is we're always learning, like I haven't arrived. He's still teaching me, you know, just, just a number of years ago, after years of being a pastor, I, I felt like I, I was, I was getting kind of worried and stressed out, kind of living high, you know, high rev. And, and I read where Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter six, do not worry about your life. You know, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you wear or all these other things. You can't add a single day to your life and just seek God and his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And I felt this prompting thought, you know, I meant it. <laughs> and and it, it took me aback because what I realized is, you know, we, we categorize some things as important and some things as not important. And, you know, and what I realized is, you know, he was saying to me, I really don't want you living this stressed out life. I came, you know, another passage he gave me that I started to just meditate on writing notes and things like that. Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus said, um, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Now think about it, because most of us, I would say, think God is the one putting those burdens on. And yet he said, come to me and I'll give rest to your soul because my burden is light. 
and I am gentle and humble of heart. Come learn from me. Isn't that amazing? And, and by the way, that's exactly what that doctor, that psychiatrist, neurologist said. He said he sees this, you know, atomic explosion of light and love. But he said he also got these nine qualities. And I won't go through all of them. I do in the book. But the last one he talked about was humility. He said, if I had these qualities, I would be the proudest SOB ever. (laughs) And he said, and he has them, but he's so humble, so gentle. And so, you know, I think remembering those things about the character of God will help us love and trust God more, to let him into more and more of the moments of life. And what God showed me is just what you said, is that I have a habit of waking up and ignoring God most of the day. Like I wake up and I'm like, what do I want to do? What am I going to have? What do I have to accomplish? And boom, boom, boom. And I'm off going, right? And he's like, you can do that if you want, but I have something better. And so when I learn to slow down, you know, and it's a habit, it's a habit. And so um, we actually came up with this, this experiment we call the 60-60 experiment to just set your alarm to go off every 60 minutes for 60 days and put little post-it notes, stay connected. Just simple words, stay connected. You know, Jesus in that Matthew 15, he says, stay connected to my love, just as I stay connected to the Father's love. So it's going through your day realizing I'm loved. God doesn't want me to stress out. He wants to help me. And, And so you start to just ask him, what's the next right thing for me to do? And then you do it. And, you know, you can talk to him about, I've got this project and all these things are going, you know, going crazy and I'm going to lose my job and, you know, all these things. But you can just say, okay, I'm going to trust you. What's the next thing I can do? Because all the other things you can't do. That's off in the future. You don't, you don't control the future. And it's so simple, but it's so hard to remember, right? And so, yes, I, I do advise that just simple practice of putting little reminders for 60 days. And in those 60 days, just go all out trying to stay present with God and doing what you think he wants you to do. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed how, oh my gosh, like you're real and you really care about me. That is so special. John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) for being here with us. This has just been great. And I know it's touched my heart and my soul. And I speak for everyone watching or listening right now, because you can't help but feel moved. Tell us how we can get a copy of the book, what the website is, perhaps if we're interested in following Gateway Church. How do we know? So Imagine the God of Heaven is the book. And you can just go to the book title, imaginethegodofheaven.com. Um, or johnburkonline.com, either one, and um, gatewaychurch.com is our church. There is another Gateway Church in Texas. It's not us, so don't get confused. Sometimes people do. Um, Gateway Austin. And yeah, and if if you go on there, I actually did a whole series, and you can see a lot of the interviews um, it was, it was called, I think it was called imagine heaven or imagine the God of heaven. 
And I think it's out on gatewaychurch.com website. And so you can you can see a lot of these interviews that I've done and how it all weaves together. But you can get the book, um, Imagine the God of Heaven, anywhere books are sold, pretty much. Pretty awesome. And I have them in the show notes, too, so people can look in the description. John, any final words before we wrap up today? I think just keep in mind it's more simple than we make it. And God is good and wants good things for you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for giving so much. And we are recording this in the holiday season. And depending on when you watch this, it may not be. But I think it's important any time of the year just to know how loved we are. So, John, thank you for being our guest today. Well, thank you, Sandra. For our listener or our viewer, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Imagine the God of heaven, near-death experiences, God's revelation and the love you've always wanted. I love that. Stay connected. And I've got something better in creating that relationship. It's never too old. We are each just where we are in life, but the future is ours. And why not explore? Explore the love that's always been there, always been right by our side. Okay. As a reminder, you can come visit me at wedontdie.com. Always uh, some good things coming up on the schedule our free Sunday gathering. No one says you have to just attend one thing per week. Like those sticky notes, I think any time that we can experience any type of inspiration and love and joy and people being of service, it just helps us to remember who we are. And then also we can look for opportunities to serve. They're all around us, even from simple things like giving somebody a compliment, letting them know how great their smile is to the bigger things and really making a difference. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I'm always so delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. Thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.